So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the people in this room. Um, thank you that your word comes with hope. Um, challenge our misconceptions, God. Speak through me and use my mouth um, to just communicate your truth and your life and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I'm excited to be here. Um, one other announcement I want to add is tonight, um, after the gathering, we're going to go to Haskell's, and there's a, there's, a, there's a food truck. I think this is the last weekend of the food truck. Um, there's a food truck, or bring your own food, and we're going to do like a bonfire and s'mores. Maybe someone bring a guitar or whatever. Um, so please join us. Um, so, and going into the fall, they announced like home groups. Um, there's also going to be alpha where you can invite people who want to explore like the bigger questions of life. Um, the whole schedule is going to kick in through the week. And I really want to encourage you to get involved in the life of this church outside of just a Sunday gathering. Um, the best analogy I can give you is... Um, how many people here have been to Yosemite? Is It's probably most of the room, I would guess. Okay, so I was one of the people that like had not been. <laughs> it, um, I'd lived in California for like, I don't know, maybe 15 years and I still hadn't been. And so I'm like, I've got to go to this place, you know? And imagine if you went to Yosemite and have you, have you been in the, the, like the visitor center? It's like a really nice visitor center with like, maps on the wall and all this cool stuff. Imagine going to Yosemite and going into the visitor center and like looking at all the maps and looking at all the pictures of everything and just reading all about it, learning all about um, Yosemite at the visitor center and then being like, man, that was awesome and getting in your car and leaving. That'd be kind of weird, right? And church life, if, 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 you, if you want to actually experience life, I would encourage you, Sunday gatherings can be literally just like the visitor center. You will see, you, you'll, you'll learn some things, you'll see, you'll hear about life together and life following Jesus and, and, and a lot of other things, but you, you'll kind of be left with, I didn't get the full experience. And so I want to encourage you to get into people's homes, go to some of these gatherings. Um, they're, they're, the week is going to this week is, is going to be a little bit slower with the holiday, but as uh, kind of the fall picks up, your schedule is going to get busy, right? And I just want to encourage you, get involved in the, in the life of the community, and you'll experience more of the life of Jesus. Amen? Okay, that was just a side two-minute rabbit trail. We are talking about the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to lay some foundation um, Hopefully, if I'm successful, I lay some of the foundation of the Father's heart. That's what I had on, on my heart to speak about. And A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God or we think about the Father is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. 
So there's like this, this perception that we have of the Father that can spill down, and it's, it's constantly evolving in our, in our minds, or even throughout the day, my thoughts, and, and that perception can spill down and affect my entire life. According to him, it was the most important thing that we think about. And so what is he like? Who is the Father? How do you get to know them? How does he feel about me? So I want to talk about, one, our perception of what he's like, the reality of what we're like without him, and three, our perception of how he feels about us. So our perception of what he's like, a father's heart. And there's a lot of different experiences. Like even when I say the word father, there's so many different experiences in this room. Someone in this room may have never met their father. Someone in this room may have had what, you know, based on what they could tell, like an amazing experience with their father. There's a whole range of experiences. And I'm talking about, yeah, your, your earthly father, your dad, if you had one. And that tends to affect your life dramatically. And it will also affect your perception of when I say the word father. Right? You with me? Okay. So can you put up this picture? I was in a rap group in high school. (laughs) And I know you don't know which one's me. I am in the middle. Just above the gold record that we won. The St. Louis Music Contest. My, uh, it's got a word in it I can't say. I had a few nicknames. Um, one of them was the brother man, the other man. Because these guys listen to Farrakhan, if you know Farrakhan. So I was the white devil, according to Farrakhan's theology. So I was a brother to them, but I was another man, if that makes sense. So the brother man, the other man. Another nickname that I can say is white chocolate was another one. Um... Probably Cracker was thrown in there. Carlos is dying back there. So these guys were from the inner city of St. Louis, and they were bussed out to the county. It was part of, like, because um, St. Louis was incredibly divided where the inner city was mostly black and the county was mostly white. And so to, to, um, you know, kind of mix. Essentially, they would bus kids from the inner city out to the county. And I got to know these guys in jazz band. I was a drummer. I did not rap. Uh, I was a drummer, and they needed a drummer for when they performed live. And so they approached me and said, hey, man, can you drum for us when we perform live? And I'm like, sure, I'm game. And so um, the two guys at the back next to me were the dancers. The two guys at the front were the rappers. And then we also had a live uh, DJ who didn't make it into the contest. And anyways, none of these guys had dads. None of them. Their dads were not existent. I would go into the hood and I would hang with them. There was no dads in the home. And it's an epidemic. Anyone that studies sociology, you would know in the inner city and especially in black communities, it's an epidemic that, that there's a lot of missing dads in the home. And so their role models were drug dealers. The drug dealers in the neighborhood that they lived in drove the nicest cars, gave them jobs, gave them family, gave them purpose. 
And so when I say the word father to these guys, it's a completely different perception than my perception. And so part of what I'm hoping to do is just lay a bit of a framework. And I know for some of you, it's, it's a, it may be, may be a bit easier, depending on what your experience was with your dad. And for others of you, it may be a bit more of a hurdle, but the good news is your eternal father, your creator loves you and with his own power and wisdom can heal any gap that was left, any abuse that was done, any neglect that was done. It can be healed and restored completely. Let's go to Matthew 3.16. And I'm going to read a few verses. I want you to look for Father, Son, and Spirit. Matthew 3.16. And when Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him. So we have the Son being baptized, we have the Spirit showing up, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, who's that speaking? The Father, in whom I love, and who I'm well pleased. And we're getting this glimpse of this intimate relationship of a triune God. Three persons that for eternity have been delighting and loving. The Father is expressing his love for his Son. Matthew then ends the book in 2819. So he ends his book with the words of Jesus, where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see Father, you see Son, and you see Holy Spirit. And they're actually talking about baptism, right? So in the Bible, baptism, people were were dunked under the water, they came up, and they came up, and it was an act of declaration of my life, my old life is, is, is dead, my new life is to follow Jesus, and it was a declaration of joining this community, not just a community of believers, but it was a declaration that they were now joining this community of, of, of Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, one more. 2 Corinthians 13. Again, we're looking for Father, Son, and Spirit. And Paul is ending his letter. It's kind of like at the end, you're going to, right? You're going to just kind of wrap this up. And he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus. So that's the Son. The grace, the Son, Jesus. The love of God. The love of the Father. And the fellowship of what? The Holy Spirit. So the, where, where's the grace? In the Son, right? In Jesus. Where's the love? From the Father. And where's the fellowship? From the Holy Spirit. And we're going to unpack that. I can't unpack all that today. We're going to unpack that in this series. The love of a Father. The grace of Jesus. And the fellowship with the Spirit. It's so rich. Okay, I'm going to walk you through a quick story, a true story. It's Hosea 1. 
And we're going to look at the perception again of what the Father's like, the reality of what we're like without him, and the perception of what he feels about us, most importantly. Okay, Hosea 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. That um, puts us basically in, from this verse, it's just important because we can date it based on the reign of the king, Jeroboam, we can date it to about 760, 725 BC. And that'll make sense why that's important because we can get a context for what was going on at that time, politically, economically, in the community, from historians. Okay, so Hosea steps in to this moment of time as a prophet, and there's prosperity going on. The economy is doing well, but there's also idolatry. The economy is doing well, and Israel and the people of God have forsaken God. They've, they've no longer felt the need and stepped away, and um, Hosea steps into this moment. Verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go marry a promiscuous, mine says whoredom, or you could say prostitute. Go marry a prostitute and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, talking about outside the box. <laughs> Here's a man of God, a prophet of the Old Testament, being told by God to marry a prostitute. And then they have three children together. Now again, this is in a season of economic growth, and the people were feeling a sense of independence from God. Maybe part of that was because of the economic growth. There was just comfort. There was no war. And they, they, they were forsaking God and pursuing other things. And their perception of God was distorted. They were lost in what love actually was and what could fulfill them. And Jeremiah described it, another big prophet, as they were forming broken cisterns next to this living well. So, so their fellowship with, with God was described as a living well that they could just receive life and fresh water constantly from. Jesus described it as living water. That the, He told the woman at the well, you'll never thirst again, right? And, and basically, sorry, hold on, fan's blowing me. And basically, Jeremiah was saying they're forming these cisterns that have cracks, and the water's just leaking out because they're going to these other sources. There's this well of life right here, and they're going over here and, and forming these things. And so they were going to things that were not fulfilling them and not um, reaching deep in their soul. And it was a love so distorted that they thought they could find it through self-gratification self and self-interest. So it was an independence from God. Now, recently, I went through an incredibly painful experience 
physical pain where I ended up in the emergency room in Long Beach. We were in Long Beach. And I thought I was going to die. This was three weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, Pain was like, if, if it was 10 out of 10, it was more than 10. Like I literally went into ER and I'm waiting in ER and the pain got so bad that I started shaking. This has never happened to me. And I, and I, and I felt like I was going to pass out. And so I went up to the window and I'm like, I'm starting to shake. I think I'm going to pass out because the pain's so bad. Is there any way someone can see me? And she's like, we're going to see you right now. She could see what, what was happening. And they took me back. They hooked up an IV and they put morphine in the IV. And that pain went from a 10 or 12 out of 10 to a zero, literally a zero. Rachel was there. You're with me. And like, I felt no pain at all. Now morphine, because when then I I left ER because I was like, well, maybe I'm going to get back to Santa Barbara. And then, um, and they gave me some other painkiller, some tablet that we picked up and I was taking the tablet one and it did nothing, nothing to my pain. And so then I, then I just, the pain got worse. And so I went back to ER and I said, Hey, I need that morphine again. (laughs) And they did some more scans and basically I needed surgery. My gallbladder was gone. It was shot and they needed to remove it. And they told me you cannot get morphine outside of here. You cannot, we cannot prescribe it. You cannot get it. And why is that? Because morphine will temporarily relieve your pain, right? It will temporarily make promises to you. But then in the end, it could take everything from you. Right? It could take everything. It could, there's dads like me that it's taken everything. It's taken their marriage. It's taken their kids. It's taken their job. It's taken everything. And so it was a temporary pleasure with an empty promise at the end. And that's exactly what was going on in Israel right here. And Hosea's wife falls into this trap. Even the love of a good husband, and we're going to dive into this, even his love couldn't fulfill her. So she began looking as a mom of three kids in this moment in the story where we're, where we're at, she goes back into prostitution. Deep in her soul, she's lost the perception of a loving father, and she's hoping that the attention of men might make her feel some worth. When it doesn't, she feels unworthy, she feels disgusting, and it turns into even more destruction. Imagine, as the mom of three, cu- three kids, the guilt of, just, of, of leaving the situation she was in is just eating her up on the inside. She's left her husband. She's left her kids to sleep with men she doesn't know for money that she doesn't even need. Life now feels like it's not even worth living to her. It feels like she's too far gone. Hosea 3.1. We're going to jump a chapter to 3.1. 
And the Lord said to me, speaking to Hosea, go again, love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress. So he's telling him to go back to Gomer. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, or even as your father loves you, though they may turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, I just have to sort that part out. (laughs) You can eat cakes of raisins. It's okay. But what he's referring to here is that it was a reference to, at the time, these cakes of raisins were significant of the pursuit of things outside of God, pursuing things that promise fulfillment, pursuing these festivals and these orgies and different gods, that the God of love and just different things that they were starting to pursue to find fulfillment. And these cakes were part of that. But for you, it might be something else. It might be your career. It might be your spouse. It might be your future spouse. There may be something that it's like, that is the thing that I, when I have that, I will be fulfilled. And this is a constant battle. This is, this is never something you master. For me, it's, 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 it's a constant, there's always something trying to weasel, weasel its way into my heart and my thoughts to say, when you get this, you'll feel that you'll be fulfilled. So Israel, they're believing that that love was pursued and fulfilled by self-gratification and that love could be found and discovered and fulfilled by people or things. So God's heart was broken by this, absolutely broken. And he says to Hosea here, go, go find her, go pursue your wife, who's in prostitution. What was that like? Can someone, can you just like, just for a moment, rather than just reading through this verse, can we just spend a moment feeling that? What was it like for Homer to go and look for her? Where did he have to go? What type of places, what type of dirty, horrible places, what part of town did he have to go into? to find her. What did he say? He walks into the red light district and says, hey, I'm looking for my wife. She looks like this. And then what do they say to him? Oh yeah, we saw her. She's down there. What was that like? And then what kind of looks is he getting? He's Hosea. I mean, some people might know who he is. Some people may know that's the prophet. And he's walking through the red light district looking for his wife. It's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethark of barley. So that's different weight measures of barley. So I bought her. <laughs> what? Like what was she on a she was on an auction block? Like this was 
this was sex trade? Or was this a pimp? What kind of a transaction? I can tell from your faces I'm really taking you deep into the darkness here. But it's like, I need to take you here so that you understand the heart of God is pursuing this woman in her deepest, darkest moment. And he's pursuing her through this prophet. I need you to feel this. So he's, he's buying his wife and they don't care that it's his wife. So what is your wife? There's a price to pay. She's ours. We own her. She sold out. And he says, what's the price? Name it. Name the price. I'll pay it. Surely there was some eye contact. She looked at him. He looked at her. And she just felt horrible inside. No doubt her hung head low. Not feeling worthy. Like she was a horrible mother. Like she was a horrible wife. That she was so broken she could never be set straight. But in this moment... In this moment, he was buying her back. He pays the price for what was already his. It was his wife. He pays the price. The other men had sought to buy her to use her. Hosea bought, sought to buy her to heal her. Hosea is a picture of the Father sending Jesus. And you and I, no offense, are Gomer. In your deepest, darkest moment, in a place you think he would never come, in a place where it feels like he's so far away, he's pursuing you. It's incredible. It is absolutely an incredible picture of the Father's heart for you. Verse 3. And I said to her, so this is Hosea speaking to Gomer. It's, it's, it's a hard, Gomer's a rough name. <laughs> oh, but Hosea means salvation. And Gomer, oh my gosh. Somebody look up the name of Gomer. And I said to her, what, what it means. It has a meaning, and I just forgot. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. What's he doing there? He's renewing their vows. He's laying down covenant in the midst of this horrible situation where she feels unworthy, undeserving, completely guilty, like there's no hope. He lays down covenant and says, you're mine, and guess what? I'm yours. It's a complete picture of the New Testament, of the new covenant, of Jesus coming in to our mess 
and saying, I am here to show you what the Father's heart is like. And we see him pursue people in the places where religious people don't go, religious people don't hang out, and he's there. And he's showing people what the Father's heart is like, pursuing these people that feel like there's no hope. Not only did he pursue them, but he took a tax collector who was rejected by all of society, both sides, the Jews and the Romans, and said, I'm going to use you to change the world for eternity, and he had Matthew write this book that we've been reading from. And it's covenant. Verse 4. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And there's a shift here. So now he's kicking into a prophecy. And he's speaking about what's to come. And he describes this murky season that's coming for Israel, where there'd be no king and no direction for the people. What Hosea didn't know, at least he didn't say it, is it'd be a season of like three, 700, 750 years. Israel gets sacked, taken into captivity, and goes through a bunch of difficulty, challenge, and oppression. And he's He's prophetically seeing it right here. And then verse 5, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on this one. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. My version might be a little different. No, it's the same. And David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. Okay, that one says his blessings. To his blessings, his goodness in the latter days. So Israel and Judah knew what it was like to fear the Lord. Like they had, they, they had all these laws and commandments to, to live up to that they, they couldn't. And they had this fear of God. And there was this judgment that they feared. But what he's speaking of here is that he say there's a day coming where that's going to shift. And they had this just sense of, of just completely falling short. Actually, can we show that video? Okay. It says, me falling short of God's standard. It's a little small, but... <laughs> no one was hurt. <laughs> I, I, I saw that on the, on the way in this morning when I was preparing this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's kind of how it feels. Nobody was hurt. I researched it in that video. But literally, they're just hitting the wall of the law, and they're falling short. And he's saying, a day is coming where you're actually going to pursue this King David. Now, he's speaking 300 years after King David. Who's he speaking about? Jesus. He, King David was, was one of the foreshadow, uh, an imperfect one, of, of a servant leader of Jesus. And he's saying, you're going to see the, the fulfillment of King David, he's coming and you're going to be pursuing him, not just through this fear of his judgment, but through fear of his goodness, of his blessing. It's his love. He's communicating through this story of Gomer that you're going to see God's love 
and his goodness, and it's going to draw you to him. That's, that's what I'm hoping to lay as a foundation for this series. I'm hoping, if anything, you can know that this series, we're going to talk about the fellowship of the Spirit, the grace of the Son, Jesus, and the love of the Father. And he's prophesying it here in around 750 B.C., I'm going to end with this. We're dealing with a father who loves on prostitutes. How can a holy God do that? Hosea throws us this this curveball, right? In our understanding of how holy God deals with unholiness. God looks on Gomer's brokenness and showers her with love and takes her on a honeymoon. God looks at her brokenness, and he actually puts a ring on it. He actually lays down a covenant and says, you're mine, and I'm yours. 2 Corinthians 13, we read earlier. I want to just end with that. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, the love of your Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. The band can join me. Let's stand and pray. If you could just close your eyes with me. And there may have been something I said that um, for some of you in here, it stirred you emotionally. It may have hit, um, it may have hit a nerve. And um, we just want to welcome God into that. We just want to welcome his presence, his love. He's actually, his spirit is here. And, and he, he's pursuing you. Uh, it doesn't matter how dark or how painful your situation is. Uh, it may feel like he's not even there. But just like Hosea, he's pursuing you into the deepest, darkest places you could hide. And so, Father, we just welcome your spirit. We pray for those that are, um, that are feeling um, just sensitive. We just pray that you would comfort them by your spirit. Pray that they'd be drawn in to Jesus. We pray that they would know the grace, the unearned effort, God, that, that you paid a price so that they don't have to. That you paid the price with your own son, to draw, to pursue people in relationship with you. Just pray that you'd comfort. I pray that you'd uplift and encourage. I pray people would be encouraged, God, that they know that your heart, the depth of your love is like an endless reservoir 
that they can explore reservoir of love and life that they can find complete fulfillment in when the career leaves them empty when the dream doesn't get fulfilled when the expectations are shattered God when when relationships fall apart needs aren't met God that you by your grace would invite us into the fellowship of your spirit the grace of your son that your love could be poured out pour out your love here lord thank you god we respond god we just respond in worship and adoration all we bring to the table is our broken our brokenness but in it we bring our gratitude and our worship we declare even when the situation around us is 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 bleak that you are good we are amazed at your love and we worship you now we worship you god you're so good